Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Hey everybody, this is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast. If you like the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, we have a show for you. We sit down with local outdoorsmen of Arkansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma to talk all things hunting, fishing, conservation, history, and culture in the Ozark Mountains region. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts to discuss the pursuits of hunting turkeys, bears, and whitetail, as well as the science behind their conservation. Join me and my co-host Kyle Plunkett every Wednesday and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Coming at you today for an outro we haven't recorded in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. So we no. Well, you're, probably, you're, you're about to get sick. Yeah, probably probably gonna get me sick. Got a sick baby. So, anyways, uh, we got we're listening. We are answering listener questions in this episode. Uh, you can uh, check down on the show notes below for the timestamps if you want to skip ahead to those. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to be talking about a little bit of stuff that we've had going on, and uh, as well as our past guests. So, uh, Jacob, how are you doing? Oh, doing well. Doing well. Andrew, how are you doing, Mr. Uh, Sickest Dog? Man, I'm not... I'm, I mean, I'm doing all right. So, so there's a there's a thing that happened. I, I told you about this earlier. Uh, we have we went and put some cameras on some scrapes in the area. Okay, uh, we put we got a couple of Tacticams, a couple other cell cameras, and we went and put them on some scrapes that we knew we were going to produce in this one area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, sure enough, clock like clockwork, they, they kind of started popping off right when they're supposed to. 
And I've kind of I'm kind of in a dilemma right now with work uh, and vacation time and stuff because we got we got this one hunt coming up that I ain't going to miss, and uh, so I'm using pretty much the last of my vacation time on that. And I was like, man, if I had like if I had like one more day, I would I I would take tomorrow off. This is me thinking yesterday. Yep. I would take tomorrow off and go hunt that area because I think those scrapes are like really popping off because. Over the last couple of days, there's there's been some like bucks coming by the scrapes, nothing crazy, but there's been does working the scrapes, mm-hmm. which we have a, a listener question today about does working scrapes, Ooh. and uh, there's been some does working scrapes, and when that starts happening, bro, when you're on a community scrape and you get a, you get some does coming by, pawing it and everything, it's about to go down. Better and sure enough, there. sure enough, this morning at like six thirty, nice buck shows up absolute shooter shows and that up. that was right after some does came through yeah he was like five minutes behind a doe group that came through the one of the does in the group uh worked to scrape i haven't gotten the video from that one yet but i'm i'm gonna go get it uh request that video and see like how she was acting because i'm mm-hmm. curious but yeah he uh he came through five minutes after her and then there's another scrape on the next ridge over it's it's only a couple hundred yards away uh Actually, some of the deer, we'll get them on one of these scrapes, and like about 12, they're all about 12 minutes later, they'll be at the next scrape if they're traveling like kind of that line. Book even it. even the coyotes, too. We got a coyote on one camera, and it was on the next camera 12 minutes later. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, so that other camera a couple hundred yards away this afternoon, 4 o'clock, over an hour before dark, uh, another shooter came walking into that one, and I was like, God, man, I was at work. It, incredibly distracting. Incredibly distracting when you're trying to work and you're freaking your your thing. It's it's even more distracting when you're sitting on another uh, community scrape, not seeing anything, and then you look at your phone, notification comes up, and there's a shooter on camera. I'm like, are you kidding me? Not even hunting the right property. No, not no, not at all. Mm. Um, but no, it, yeah, it's interesting because like it's been. I think when we put those cameras out, it's been a couple weeks now. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think in the first 72 hours or so, we had like six or seven different bucks show up. Yeah, um, yep. n- none, none of them being shooters, but just a bunch of different age class. You're like probably the oldest, but there might have been like one three and a half year old. Yeah, um, and you know they're all just kind of like all over the cameras, but there wasn't really much doe activity. And then every time you would have, you know, probably you know five or six days into having those cameras out there, one or two little doe groups came by, worked scrapes, and there's like a flurry activity. Yep, then it kind of died off for a day or two. And then, again, mm-hmm. Doe Group comes by, both these cameras, and it's like, bang, 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 buck, buck, buck. Yep. And it's like, ooh, okay. It's on. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's getting good. Yeah, it's definitely getting good. So, yeah, we're going to have a listener, uh, listener Q&A well, about it, that. It, it's so funny. It's so funny because you see this on social media right now. You know, this is a, a big benefit of living in the South, especially in one of these states that do, does have a little bit later rut times uh, than a typical November rut. You saw these guys from the Midwest, like, man, my season's coming to close, all this kind of stuff. We're starting to get YouTube comments. People are like, are they just now rutting where y'all are at? Yeah. We're like, yeah, where you been, man? Yeah, yeah. and I'm like, you know, it's so funny because, you know, they talk about their seasons, like, coming to a close. And some of these states, like, the season is going to end at the end of December. And I'm like, dude, it's just now getting good for a decent part of Alabama, mm-hmm. uh, a decent portion. And then it'll keep getting good in other parts of the state, you know, as you get into late December, going into January, and even into mid to late January. Yeah. I was um, telling someone the other day about that because th- someone was asking about this area. I put some stuff on my Instagram story about it, and somebody messaged me, and they were like, hey, are you just now rutting? I was like, yeah, and, and this area is going to be good. We're going to hunt this till like right around Christmas and mm-hmm. then we're bouncing to a new area and what we're doing is we're kind of catching early 
early rut to I guess what would be considered kind of like mid rut for the, like mm-hmm. kind of peak rut yeah slash lockdown. And when that happens, we're bouncing to another area, and we're catching that early rut. We're just bouncing, catching that that early rut. And if you were to put it in Midwest terms, what would you say? You're hunting like late like, o- late October, late o- like first. October twenty fifth to like November fourth or something. Yeah, yeah like, something like that. You know, if, if you're looking at like a you know typical Midwestern rut where your mm-hmm. peak rut's like November twelfth or whatever. Yep. So uh, that that's because we've had a lot of success, especially on scrapes, man. Because I'm a scrape guy. I love scrapes. Especially these last couple of years, I've always liked scrapes. I mm-hmm. like the idea of like trying to figure out scrapes, but it's really only been these last probably three or four years that I've I feel like I'm actually honing in and figuring something out that is now consistently been working for me for several years in a row. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, this is the thing. I I think I know what to do with these. Yeah, and, and the the cool thing with scrapes is like, I think it was. Uh, Tyrell Roy, who we interviewed from Oklahoma, yep. and he talked about like using scrapes as a funnel. Yeah. And even in like more open woods, is like that scrape is like a natural funnel where like if deer are like meandering through a property, but there's like one really good primary or community scrape, mm-hmm. not like one of your little basketball size scrapes, but like a, you know, a scrape bigger than this table or as big as this table. Uh, it's got a bunch of licking branches, a bunch of activity from both bucks and does. Um, that like naturally like pinches deer down where they, they might not go work the scrape, but they're going to kind of get in the general area of that scrape. Yeah. They're going to get close to it. And, uh, it's exactly what we've seen, especially over, especially last year, but even going into this year, it's like, you know, you see all this activity in and around the scrape scene, like you don't have to be sitting on top of the scrape, but if you can be in the vicinity of that scrape, Mm -hmm. even within like a hundred yards of that scrape, there's a good chance you're going to catch a buck, especially coming downwind of it. Yeah. Doesn't even walk to the scrape. You don't even have it on camera. But you shoot a buck that you've never had on camera, but he's been checking that scrape for a month and a half now. Yeah, definitely. And that goes back to what I was saying a couple of weeks ago about scrapes is like it's more of like a focal point in mm-hmm. some of these areas. And in one of the spots that one of those shooters showed up this morning is where I killed a buck last year. Yep. And that's how it set up. I was sitting about 50 yards from that scrape, and I shot the deer about 50 yards from me. He was probably about 80-ish yards or so from that scrape mm-hmm. total. Uh, and he was swinging around. That's what he did. He actually swung around that scrape. And I was able to shoot him. And it goes to show that, and Shane Parker's talking about this, when when you have your camera right there on that scrape, like, dude, you have no idea how many bucks are walking past that thing that you're not getting on camera. Yep. Like, And I don't want to throw a percentage on it because I've never, like, tried to, you know, like, put a bunch of cameras around a scrape, like, in all directions and try to figure out, like, how many deer are skirting it. But if you talk to guys like Shane or Paul Putero talk about the same thing, it's a pretty high percentage of bucks that are probably coming and looking at that. They're either visually checking it or winding that scrape, but coming close to that scrape is like a way higher percentage than deer that are actually hitting the scrape. Yep. Right. So like that, that's one thing that gives me hope about that spot. And actually Shane made a post about it this Mm -hmm. morning because he's hunting another part of the state, similar situation. He had some does on camera and this doe was like working the licking branch, doing the whole thing with the scrape. And He's, he said, you know, Shane, he'll put cameras all around a scrape like that. You know, he'll put like five cameras right there in one little area. And he's putting one camera on the scrape, and he's putting other cameras basically to catch deer going around that scrape. So he'll put one on the trail 50 yards away, and he'll put one here and there. And what he was saying is like, you know, I got these does working the scrape right now, and I already know that when I go in there and check those other cameras, I'm going to have a nice surprise. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be something good on those other cameras because – you know, when does are working those scrapes, man, it's time. It's happening. Yeah. No, it's uh, – that's the cool thing about a scrape. That's where, like, you know, when, when people ride in asking, like, you know, if you could only put a camera on one thing, like if you could only scout for one day and find something to put a camera on, 
to, in my opinion, it would try to be try to find a primary community scrape. Um, like I, I just think you get such good inventory and you're not just getting inventory of bucks, but you're also getting inventory of when does are coming through. Mm-hmm. And that's been interesting for us is like, not only how many does are coming through at a time, like these, these little doe groups, like they're not big. I think the biggest group we've had is maybe four or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But, uh, you're seeing, you know, is there a pattern to when these does are coming through? Like, is it an everyday thing? Is it every few days? Um, you know, any specific conditions? But the funny thing is, I know with the uh, the script that's on the the pine tree, okay, that sh- yeah. that scrape, mm-hmm. does bed above that on the main ridge system, okay, yeah. um, because that and above it's the saddle that I shot my buck on last year. We also, when we went in there and dropped these cameras off, before we ever made it down there, we did a huge loop going through this area. Yep. And we jumped some does right above that camera, bedded on the side of that ridge. Yeah. Um, so th- that's one that's one thing that I find really interesting because it's a spot, specifically that one scrape, it's in a low spot off a main ridge system. The ridge is fairly thick cover, you know, relatively thicker than everything else around there. And the does are definitely bedding up on top of that. Yep. And the bucks during certain times of the day, like early morning before thermals start rising in the afternoon when the thermals start falling, because the thermals probably fall in this area fairly early because the ridge, how big that ridge is. Yeah. These bucks can stay low and work this area and kind of scent check all that doe bedding from being down low. They don't have to go up top if they don't want to. And yeah. we saw that last year when I shot that buck and we were over there working that buck. Another shooter mm-hmm. was on camera in that same scrape 300 yards below us while we're working on that deer. Yeah. And it's like, you know, they can move through these areas without you even like realizing they're there. Um, so it's, this is really interesting kind of seeing how everything's popping off, but I will say this, I'm still waiting for one of these really big bucks. We had on camera last year to show up. Megas. Uh, there was an eight point last year that God, I, he was a big deer. Yeah, I do. Legit I, big deer. I would do a lot for that deer, man. Um, yeah. And he hasn't showed up quite yet, so I don't know if he got killed or died. Kite's got a hold of him. Yeah, but. that I was wondering. Well, we got these cameras out uh, about two weeks later than I got them out last year. Mm-hmm. So I think because actually that particular deer, we actually had him on camera more uh, towards like late November, early yeah. December. And then he kind of disappeared, and then he started showing back up chasing does. So when we got him on that camera, he was actually, like, at running a doe. And uh, you could just tell it was him because, like, the doe ran by, and that triggered the camera. And then he came running by, and he's, like, 30 yards, you know, in the background. Mm-hmm. But, man, you can just tell because he just had a freaking huge frame. Like, you know what deer it is. Yeah. And uh, and so – and another thing, too, this is something also that, I, you know, I mentioned in that from last year – these uh we we had cameras on these exact same scrapes last year mm-hmm. same exact spots there's two in particular we had them on we got a lot more cameras out there this year in different areas mm-hmm. but these two particular scrapes we had cameras out there last year we wouldn't put cameras back on them this year and uh to a t everything is happening the same way yeah does are showing up you know like small bucks show up at certain times big bucks start showing up a lot of does start showing up I mean, almost to the day. Yeah. And and that goes into annual patterns. You know, like, we these are cell cameras. And primarily, one of the reasons we're using cell cameras here is because uh, it's really hard to get to where these scrapes are at. It's a, it's a really difficult walk. But also, it's a really invasive it's walk. It's very invasive. I, I was going to say, it's almost more invasive than just the distance. Like, cause you yeah. Have, you have to get down in amongst where all these deer are at throughout the day. So, it's not like mm-hmm. you can just go check this scrape 
at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Because if you do it, more than likely you're going to be bumping deer all around that scrape that are bedded. Yeah. So it's like, that's where I feel like the cell camera really comes into advantage because you can put these cameras in areas that's going to be highly invasive if you go back and check it. But you can still go and hunt it. It's just you have to time it perfectly to get in there. You're still probably going to bump some deer. But you just got to realize if you're going in there, you're staying there. Like yeah. You're not hunting there for three hours and then bouncing. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's a spot I'd prefer to not. And this is like when cell cameras first came on the scene, I, that's what I was excited about with them. I'm like, man. Except you for could, the $550 price tag. Yeah, well, I didn't buy one for a couple of years. But uh, I remember when they first came out and they were like $500. I was like, man, I can't wait for these to be like super cheap in five years. And yeah. I'll be danged. Here we are. Uh, but anyways, um, that's one of the things I was initially excited about. Is like, man, you're going to be able to put these in invasive spots and you're not going to have to go in and check that camera which you you could do before obviously you could just leave cameras and let them soak which we still do mm -hmm. uh but you know if you want to if you want to get that intel faster and it's an area you're actively hunting it's nice to have that for sure yeah and uh and we got other cameras um that are not cellular on other scrapes in this area that i'm, I'm just going to leave them and if i happen to hunt next to them I'll go in there and check it. Mm -hmm. If not, I'm going to get them probably in February or March. Yeah. And and I, I say all that to say, if you don't have cell cameras, then I would just put normal trail cameras on scrapes like this, which I'll link some YouTube videos in the description of this podcast uh, that you can go and watch about basically finding these community scrapes. And uh, they'll be super helpful and because these are like the absolute key, at least for me, mm -hmm. this time of year. They're the absolute key for finding big deer. And a lot of people we interview, I mean, I picked this up from people we interview. Mm -hmm. So you can go put your regular cameras on those, let them, let them soak, you know, hunt the area, like do whatever, but just let them do their thing, let them take pictures, don't move them, leave them there. And next year, you can bet that about the same time they're going to be doing the same stuff. It doesn't matter what the moon phase is. It doesn't matter if it's hot. It doesn't no it does not matter. They will be doing the same thing next year. Like the rut ain't going to move a month because the moon was wrong or anything. I, like I can that. hear Michael P Michael Pike texting. <laughs> right I know, now. I know. Look, I got I got friends that, you know, they're they're all into the moon thing, but I'm just saying like every year it's the same, dude. And and it really for me it, like there there's one place that I've been hunting ever since I was a little kid. And every single year, man, every single year, people are like, oh, the rut's different. Oh, it's this time. And, like, I've been hunting it for, like, 20 years now. Like, ever since I was a kid, I'm like, no, dude, the rut does not move. It doesn't. You know, they're they're moving in an area where you're not seeing them. Yeah. You know, or, or, or movement might be a little suppressed from the heat or whatever. But those does are still in estrus. Like, uh -huh. they're, still, they're still having a little deer party yep. down in the thicket somewhere or down in the shady spot or, you know, they're just not where you're seeing them. But, oh. Sweet. All that, all that to say is like take advantage of those annual patterns, you know, and and make an investment right now. Even if you're hunting late season in your post rut, make mm -hmm. an investment right now. Get your cameras out in good spots. Let them sit, and then you know take all that data and look at it after the season and use it next year. Speak about that. Also, you got remember to go get your cameras after the season because <laughs> I went hunting in a spot. A little update. I went hunting in a spot I haven't really been in since 2020. And uh, happened to go find one of my cameras. I was still in this spot. I told you you had a camera. Yeah, and I was like, nah, nah I got that camera. No, nah, it was still sitting on the tree. That sucker's waterlogged. <laughs> little, little cheap uh, wild game innovation. It, it did. And I think, I don't know if I pulled the SD card on it or if someone else might have pulled There was an SD card in it, so I don't know if someone took the SD card. I don't know who'd be freaking walking around in that thicket. Yeah. I don't, maybe uh, a rabbit hunter. Maybe. But like um, the funny, so that, man, 
You know, the problem is I still left that camera there. I didn't, I didn't take it off the tree. Why? I don't know. Get oh, my some, gosh. It's a memorable spot. No, I'll have to go get it at some point. I just got to go throw it away. I mean, it's it's completely, like, there's water. Like, you open it up, and, like, you look at the little screen, there's, like, water all in the screen and oh everything like that. Oh, my gosh. Um, which is not, it doesn't flood. It's just, I, don't, I mean, after getting rained on for three years, it finally gave out. But the funny thing is, I walked into that spot because I was going to go hunt. It's pine thicket, and there's a little SMZ back in there. And I was like, I'm going to go sit in that pine, SMZ for one afternoon hunt. I, I had some free time. And uh, I walked in and noticed the camera was there. I'm like, son of a gun. And first off, you know, I had like little bungee cords on it. Mm-hmm. That pine tree, it ain't grown around the bungee cord, but it's it's snug enough you're going to have to cut them off. Oh, nice. um, but right in front of it, there was a scrape right in front of that camera. <laughs> right in front of the camera. Really? And I'm like, dang, dude. I, I was was there a scrape there when you? No, no. Really? Uh-uh. Oh, man. But there was always a big trail. So there's a big trail that always, where that camera was at in this pond thicket, there was always a big trail that kind of came around the head of this SMZ. And uh, again, streamside management zone, hardwood range. And uh, that's what that camera was looking over. Um, and it just, that trail's beat down right now. There's rubs going down. There's a scrape right in front of the camera. Yeah, and, no uh, you know, mm. Anyways, it made me think, like, man, man, I'm just gonna sit right here in this pine thing, sit on the ground, and be able to shoot 25 yards. That's about it. <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah. So, long story short, if you do these long term camera placements, make sure you organize it extremely well in your Onyx, okay? Yeah. With a ton of notes, of especially like, if you go and check it, but you leave the camera there, and like you're gonna come back and check it again, like maybe swap SD cards out, swap batteries out. Just make sure you put that in your Onyx so you know about. Because I still have this camera pin there, mm-hmm. but I didn't have any notes in it. On the pin, specifically of, you know, did I grab the camera or did I not grab the camera? Uh, so, because you don't want to be, you know, you don't want turkeys to come around and be like, did I get, did I get all my cameras? And you start counting, you're like, how I many, think I'm missing a camera. Did, did I have 10 cameras or did I have 12 cameras? How many cameras did I have? And, like, you try to go back and think about, like, I don't really know. So, you just don't want to have that happen. So, uh, make sure yeah. you stay extremely organized uh, just with your notes so you know where all these cameras are at. Because, again, that's what, like, what Michael Perry does. Michael Perry is one of the first guys we had interviewed. Um, who talked about doing these long uh, camera placements where he would yeah. leave them out for, I mean, a whole season. You know, he'd mm-hmm. put some fresh batteries in them, put them in areas, and a lot of times it's an area, maybe some of them are more high traffic than others, but maybe they only, like certain spots, certain funnels, only get high traffic for like two weeks out of the year. Yes. But that's when he's trying to get the most intel, and they also see if there's any deer come through late season, all that kind of stuff. And then he uses that information specifically to focus on areas to hunt next year but the thing is i need to talk to perry about this i don't know how much he actually puts them on scrapes like that most of the time he just puts them on like specific travel corridor funnels yeah i don't think he does scrapes yeah Uh, i could be wrong but that's how he that's that's helped him uh kill his big buck Mm -hmm. that his state record deer he uh he had had that deer on camera for several years and he knew that it liked to use that travel corridor around that time during a certain time of the year yeah, yeah and that's where that annual pattern thing comes in it's like you know it's not like if you got him on camera coming through here at 8 a.m on december 4th this year that he's going to do that at on you know december uh-huh. 4th at 8 a.m next year but within two or three days there's actually a pretty good chance he's going to do the same thing yeah especially if weather conditions are are similar yeah um so it, it's about being able to put yourself in a in a similar situation but you know? that goes back to the I think the advantage like I think there's a very specific advantage on like focus on travel corridors for camera placements like especially mm-hmm. in really tight funnels, kind of like what Michael Perry does. But there's also advantage of doing the same thing on primary scrapes or community scrapes. Yeah, and try and get the intel specifically. I'd almost want more intel, not necessarily when bucks are checking it, but when does start using it. 
And yeah. now we've got two years of history on two specific primary mm-hmm. community scrapes yep. that does are using during certain like days and, and yeah. weeks of a year. Yep. And to me, after we now have two years of data with that, and you know we'll ha- leave these cameras out there for a little bit longer so we can kind of get some more intel, next year... It's like, yeah, put the cameras out. But I know on this, this, and this day, when these does have typically 100%. used a scrape, I'm sitting in that spot. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, get that get that pattern two years in a row, and then uh, and then you can maybe start moving your cameras around. And one reason that spot's so good is, like you mentioned, it's like a, it's not quite a bench, but it's kind of like a bench, basically. Like, if you think of a big old ridge going up, it goes up, and mm-hmm. right there at that bottom third, it levels out. Like a, like a bench seat, you know? Yep. And then it, it gets steep again and keeps going up. Well, the, the steep part, that topper, that top, uh, upper two-thirds of the ridge is like kind of, it's kind of thick. It's like vines and saplings and yeah. stuff. Yeah, You can still hunt it. It's not that thick. It's, it's not really thick compared it, to what we normally well, hunt. early season, if you went during bow season, yeah. God bless you. Yeah, it's pretty thick. But during gun season. It's not bad. You can, but, but they're using that. Yeah. So there's trails in it. I walked all through it last year. There's big old fat trails in it. I'm sure they've been in it. Mm-hmm. But also, when that bench drops off mm-hmm. and that that lowest one-third, the, the front face of that ridge is really glady. Yep. Like it's sage grass, uh, sparkleberry, little scrubby pine trees. It's mm-hmm. rocky. And uh, a glade is like, um, it's like shallow soil, rocky, and you're going to have like sage grass and stuff growing in it. And it makes really good bedding. It's really, really good habitat. And, uh, and they bed in that. And most of these, almost all the bucks on the scrape that the buck was at this morning mm-hmm. come from that glade. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them. Or they either come from the glade, like they came out of it, mm-hmm. or they're swinging around the ridge. Is that where that buck this afternoon came from? Yes. He oh. came from that. The buck I killed came from that. The big eight point last year came from that. Almost every single buck that has been on that camera so far, almost every deer that has been on that camera has come from that. Like if they're, when they're, when you're looking at where the camera's at, and they're like coming in mm-hmm. from the right hand side, they're coming from that glade. Mm. Uh, and so that's holding deer. And so it's just like a perfect little travel corridor between that glade and that other cover higher up on the ridge. And uh, there's actually a, a really good example of that in one of the YouTube videos I'm going to link below. Uh, it's not the exact spot, but it sets up exactly like how this spot sets up. So it's a, it's like a perfect example of what we're talking about here, about how the terrain sets up. Mm-hmm. And that scrape is just right there in the middle of it. Yeah. Right there between those two things. It just makes so much sense. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to get in there and hunt because you never know, again... The buck you killed in there last year, mm-hmm. we never had on camera mm-hmm. at all. And another kind of cool thing is, so we put some more cameras out all over the place, and uh, we got cameras, you know, spanning several miles on these yeah. ridge systems. And we got this one buck. He's a big seven point, <laughs> and he's like he's like a big wide seven point. He's skinny. He, I mean, he's not like a like a world beater or anything like that. He's a, he's a good deer. But uh, he's like a real wide seven point, basically. And we had a buck in there last year that kind of looked like that, really wide. Yeah. And at first, I was like, oh, that's that same deer. But when I went and looked at it, yeah. the one from last year had mass. Yeah. And his antlers, like, swooped down in the front yeah, a little they, bit. Yeah, he, he looked. He was a freak. Yeah. He he's was, a crazy looking deer. Yeah. But so, no, not the same deer. But anyways, that particular buck, we've had him on three different cameras now. Just freaking walking all over the place. I mean, spanning it probably three miles. Span as a crow flies between the two furthest cameras is a mile and a half. Okay, but 
uh, actually walking how you, how you have oh, to yeah. walk through there. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, it's it's like three miles probably. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Yep. I'm like, he's gonna get killed walking around like that. He's gonna get killed by me because I'm shooting that deer if I see him. I'd shoot him in a heartbeat, son. And Jacob would shoot him too. He won't no, tell you that, but no. he would. He will. He will 100 no, shoot that when deer. That deer walks by me. I'm gonna shoot him with the phone and the camera. And no, like text it to Andrew. Like, here no. you go. He's coming to you. No, absolutely not. I'm, pa- I'm, I'm catching releasing with him. That if people remember the Arkansas podcast, this is why you can't trust Jacob with trail camera videos and judging deer off trail camera. Uh, Anthony's buck, the reason that we didn't think we had it on camera is because they did get it on camera in October. Mm-hmm. And Jacob was like, yeah, it's a pretty good deer. Just kept scrolling. He's like, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a good buck, but he's nothing crazy. And then Anthony kills it. And we're all like, oh my gosh, look at this thing, dude. You can go see that buck on the Arkansas podcast video. So perfect example of why you can't trust Jacob on trail camera pictures at all. Trying to look for a jaw dropper. Which Anthony's, <laughs> I mean, was. But that was a jaw dropper. He, he didn't look that impressive on camera. Oh, whatever. So, yeah, we got uh, nine cameras out there now. Mm-hmm. And this is an area is where... It? Yeah, I think so. Because I put out five the other day, and we put out four when me and you scouted. Okay. So I went back in and and put out five more in a, mm-hmm. in a, in a new area that we haven't really been into, but it kind of connects to where we've been hunting, not trying to give away too many details. But uh, we know some people who have some private land adjacent to this area, mm-hmm. and that private land has gotten some whoppers on camera. Mega giants. I like, mean, like deer, like... Like 150 class deer, legit. I think he's got a couple bigger than that. I, I mean, mean there, there was one specifically day one in Iowa... Trigger or bows being released, <laughs> yeah. like no, yeah. like no doubt. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's so we know that they're there. Yeah, haven't got them on camera yet. And when I went and put those five cameras out, uh, two of them are in spots that are uh, a little bit off the beaten path. Yep. Um, three of them are on scrapes, but two of them are on actually. So th- this one sets up kind of in a cool way. So there's these two steep faces, and again, we're like we're mountain hunting here, so we're kind of bouncing around. And if you listen in a month, we're gonna be hunting swamps. So it's the beauty of Alabama. Oh God, yeah. So we're switching it up. So we're switching from the timber alsinks to the water moccasins. That's right, the alligators. So we're we're hunting like big ridge systems right now, and um, there's two steep faces on this one ridge system that I was interested in, and on those two steep faces, there's two mountain laurel thickets. And in between those two mountain laurel thickets is like a, a little drainage that kind of cuts in between them. And the mountain laurel stops at that drainage. So the drainage is open going between them. And I could tell all this on the map, like looking at Onyx, you can obviously see where the steep stuff is with the slope angle shading. But also on the imagery, you can tell where that mountain laurel is because there's like a green hue mm-hmm. to the timber. And uh, so I was like, that's going to be a good spot because it's basically a freaking lane going through this mountain laurel thicket. Yeah. So I was really interested in getting up to that. And right where that empties down, there's like a little finger ridge that it kind of empties down into. And I get up to that finger ridge, and as soon as I get up there, there's like 15, 20 rubs, like fresh rubs. Some of them are fresh. Some of them are historical rubs. There was one about as big as this Nalgene that had been rubbed in years past and was just shredded this year too. Fresh too. And... uh uh, mountain laurel twisted up and broken from from rubs, and there was a scrape there. And interestingly, the scrape was like 50 yards further down that um, secondary ridge point mm-hmm. from all those rubs. The rubs were kind of going down the edge of the mountain laurel, but the scrape was like 50 yards off the edge of that. So the scrape's like out in the open, like off that edge. So I put a camera on that scrape, but I also put a camera on that mountain laurel edge where all those rubs are at, 
because just looking at the Bucks line, I'm like, obviously there's a buck swinging around the scrape. And one thing that we we did like that big uh, series with Shane Parker and Paul Patera last year, mm-hmm. they were talking about a lot of bucks will purposefully walk through areas where they can visually check a scrape, maybe not smell it or anything, but they're, they want to look down there and see it. And this sets up exactly like that. So I put a camera on that. And I actually, I think I'm like the most excited to check that camera because I'm like, what is swinging around this scrape? And the way it sets up, I mean, obviously, it could not. It doesn't have to walk in front of my camera, but it is greatly encouraged to walk in front of my camera. Mm-hmm. So, I think I'm gonna get a bunch. I think I'm gonna get bucks on that camera that do not show up on any other camera. So I'm really what, excited what, about which that. Which camera one. did you put on that? A Browning. Oh yeah. Okay. So I put it on video mode and everything, and it's on a perfect little open travel corridor. So it's a. Uh, it, it should get some stuff on it. I'm really excited about that. But mm-hmm. I, I put a couple more out on scrapes in this area. So. We're gonna we're gonna see what what shows up, and again, I'm gonna be very interested to see what bucks show up on these scrapes versus the ones that we have on a different part of the ridge system. Because man, between those those two areas is, is pretty far, but I actually would not be surprised if we got some of the same deer because I think they cover a lot of ground. Yeah, uh, like miles and miles at a time. God, so. Yeah, it, you you look at the bodies on these deer, you kind of see why. Like you know, we got we we got. Two, three, probably three mature bucks on camera. Um, mm-hmm. And they've got, you know, big front, you know, big barrel chest and everything. But they're just like, dude, they're lean. They're like, long like, and lean, dude. N- none of those deer, like even like the like that one that came in this afternoon, which is probably one of the bigger body bucks. He probably doesn't weigh 165 pounds maybe. They're like a bunch of cross-country runners, man. Yeah, but it's like, dude, if you were 230 pounds having to carry your, you know, your big butt up and down all that crap, yeah. God bless you, dude. Um, and then side hill and everything else. And that's one thing that's kind of interesting. Um, I know people kill some like fairly big body bucks in like different parts, like mountain systems and everything. But it's like, it always seems like when you go in those areas, it's like, you know, they can still have very impressive antlers, but it's like the bodies, they just go through so much more use in that. Yeah. That's just, you know, it doesn't make sense. I think not even genetically, but it doesn't make sense for a 230-pound buck to be running around in a whole yeah. bunch of, like, gnarly stuff like that. Yeah, and it's interesting how far they move because, like, in this area, like, the the ridge tops aren't that bad. They kind of, like, plateau out a little bit, and it's kind of flat up there. And it kind of, yeah, rolled over. But the, but when they dump off that plateau and they got to go to the next one, they got to go way down and way back up. Yep. But, uh, you know, I, yeah, you're probably right. That's why. Which, by the way, we got some good comments on your thing about. Uh, I wonder if like those really uh, thick pine plantation areas that we hunt tend to have like narrow, tall racks. Mm-hmm. You wonder if that's like a genetic thing mm-hmm. where they're adapted because like if you got freaking a 22 inch wide rack, it's gonna be really hard to go busting through a pine thicket. Yeah. And uh, and we got some good comments on that. that oh, was, did we really? Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, interesting. So we need to ask some biologists about that. That'd be very very interesting to to talk about that. But anyways. Uh, kind of, it's kind of funny that now we're hunting like a big wood setting and now we're, we're getting like these wider bucks on camera, like yeah. wider than the bucks we typically get in like a pine country setting. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Yeah. And it's like, well, it was kind of funny because our buddy JT just killed big nine point yeah. and more pine country and he, dude, he's, I don't know how we, I wish I need to keep a tape measure in the truck. I don't have one. I wish I would have measured his inside spread, but for the if, area, if he's like at right at the edge of the ears. They're about 16 inches. Isn't that right? Yeah, and he's probably at least two inches outside of the ears, if not maybe more than that. But uh, for that area, he's a wide deer. Like, yeah, oh yeah, you know, you know, other than you know one of our other buddies, Zach, who's killed a real wide buck out there, and a, and a couple other guys. Typically, it's like kind of on like 
you know, those tighter frames, like 15-inch wide, yeah. you know, bucks. Good main beam length that kind of swoop out with tall tines. But um, I saw when he killed that and he sent me the photo, I went to help him get it out. I was like, dude, that is like an anomaly. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you, every now and then a deer like that will kind of pop up, but it's like that's not like the common, you know, mature buck for, you know, uh-huh. some of those areas. Mm-hmm. So it, it is very, very interesting kind of seeing the difference in just like antler makeup and, you know, frame size, like width and then, you know, height, frame height and everything else. It's like, yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Um, I think that was another day, uh, like y'all were all hunting that day. I was going to go hunting. I wasn't going to hunt the same property as y'all, but I was going to go hunting that day, but I had to freaking work on Sunday, actually. Mm. <laughs> that was a bummer, because I think our cameras lit up that day, too. I'm like, golly. Yeah, 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 no, they did. Yeah, I, that's that's the day I found the camera, trail camera. Um, yeah, yep. But I had actually, so that was so that's another thing I was going to bring up. So I decided to expand further into this area. Mm-hmm. Um, was it, maybe it was the same day? Let me th- Let me think here, let me think here. It was the same day. It, it was, yeah. No, it wasn't the day I found the camera. It was the next day. The day I found the camera was the day before that. But the day JT killed his buck, I had like an hour and a half to burn, maybe two hours before I had to go to a Christmas party. So I'm like, I don't have a lot of time. I can't really, I mean, I could hunt, but like, I'm just going to go for a walk with a, you know, with a gun. And uh, I did a loop, went through that pine thicket, and I did a big loop going through there. And I was trying to see, like, this is an area I found a big primary scrape on a water oak sapling um, that was kind of like in the pine thicket. I'm like, I'm going to go check that out. Second I got into that pine thicket, it was like instantly scrapes, just like paralleling inside the pine thicket. Worked the tree, and there were some that were fresh because it had just rained like super hard. Like mm-hmm. all that, that previous night and going into that morning, JT killed his buck right after the rain stopped. Yep. And there were scrapes that were just wide open, like just worked. And I'm like, and I had my, you know, I had, actually, no, I forgot my grunt call. That's what it was. Yeah, I forgot mm. my grunt call. And I was like, dang it. I'm like, man, I could probably like, you know, make some racket in here with this high wind and maybe try to call him back. But did a little loop through these, these pines, and uh, you can kind of walk underneath them. You're like you're kind of d- ducking, you know, dodging some stuff every now and then. But that old that primary script where uh, I talked about this on the podcast a couple of years ago, it was back in 2021 maybe. I had walked up, and that's when I found this scrape. And when I went to the scrape, I had messed around with that water oak sapling. I was trying to break you know, branches down mm-hmm. um, to give them some more licking branches. Then I had a, a buck charge me or like oh, yeah, come yeah. running in, kind of investigate what was going on. Yeah. And I uh, had the bow with me and just there was no opportunity to take a shot before he busted me at like 15 yards or something. But uh, I went back in there and the bucks had broken off that limb and there's not another limb hanging huh. down. So they stopped using it. Oh, what really? Like the, the limb that was hanging down, the big limb that they were hanging down, it was broken laying on the ground scrape you can't tell there was ever a scrape there at that point but there's no other looking branches so it made me think and i should have done this while i was there i should have freaking you know worked on a couple branches give them a couple options real quick and open it back up yeah dude that actually makes me wonder about areas like that uh like where greg scuffka was talking about giving them licking branch, like putting a licking branch in a spot which you could do with an actual branch but some people do it with like a hemp rope yeah and hanging off a tree and the only reason i haven't tried that yet it's because I cannot think of a better way to alert everybody to a spot. You know, like, nothing sticks out like a big old freaking fat hemp rope hanging off a tree in the woods. Yeah. So there's only very certain areas where I would do that, where I would be really confident no one would find it. But I've heard that works really, really well. And then go around and cut down all the licking branches everywhere else except for that spot mm-hmm. and make them use that scrape. Yeah. Which I'm actually trying at my hunting club right now. Because uh, apparently the deer out there are, like, asexual or something. And they're not, I, like, dude, they're just not laying down sign. I can't find a scrape to save my life. 
And um, so I just, I, that's what I did. I went down a logging road that me and you uh, found in turkey season that mm-hmm. had two scrapes on yeah. it. Yep. And those scrapes, I couldn't even find them. Like, they're completely covered with pine straw. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even remember where they were. So I was like, whatever, I'm just going to make my own scrape. And so I just cleared out this spot. There was like a little oak scrub, scrub oak on the edge of the road that mm-hmm. was had limbs, but there was like stuff all in it hanging down to the ground. So I cleaned it up, made all these licking branches, just the perfect height. And then I walked 50 yards in either direction, cut every single limb on both sides of the road. So I was like, all right, y'all are using this scrape. And I put a camera on it, so we'll see what happens. Well, going back to this spot, though, after I did this little loop to this pine thicket, and I found a couple other scrapes in it, but it was nothing, you know, nothing that really blew my mind. I was like, I'm going to pop on this next little SMZ which is an area that is the first place I had ever hunted on this piece of public mm-hmm. back in like 2013, 2014. Is that the same SMZ you found that deadhead in? No, no, one over from okay. that one. Gotcha. Um, that's the one I actually hunted in there, right next to where I found the deadhead. No sign at all in the SMZ. Really? Like you found some tracks, but no scrapes, huh. no rubs, nothing in that SMZ, which bl- kind of blew my mind. I go to the next one, not the case. <laughs> okay. So I go to the next one. Uh, after I look through the pines, drop down and start kind of side hill, I start seeing some start seeing some rubs, but nothing like older rubs maybe from a month ago. And uh, I jump a doe up that was bedded right at the top of the SMZ, and it's kind of you know rocky in there. She jumps up, kind of you know bounds off, and it's real high winds when I go in there. I keep working up the SMZ, and that SMZ, it's like real steep, and it kind of tapers out and kind of rolls out where it's a little more gentle, you know, mm-hmm. that top half of it. And uh, I start working up in there, and I come up. I could see this looking branch from 50 yards away. Oh. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good one. So, I, you know, actually, before that, I saw another scrape that was right there underneath a the little beech tree, and I was like, okay, that's cool, but nothing crazy. Then this other one, I could see the looking branch from – Again, probably close to fifty yards away. You can see it hanging down. It's all gnarled up. No leaves. <sighs> no leaves on that whole branch. Dude, I get chills when I think about and, that. And uh, I walk up to it, and I'm like, "Yep, Andrew, get excited about this." Oh one. And, my gosh! And, and it's right at the spot. So if you look at it, you can't really. You kind of can notice it on the map, but really got to be there. When that that bottom, it's like real steep on both sides, like real rocky and steep. And the second, and that first script I'd found was like right on the edge of that stuff. But the bigger scrape was right when it gets more gentle yep. with a deer crossing it. Mm-hmm. That's where that scrape was placed at, right in that SMZ. And it's like ponds on both sides of you, thick ponds on both sides of you. And uh, it just, it looked incredible. Like, it, it, and I was like, man, and you know, it had just been worked that morning. And I was like, and it did, you know, about, you know, about the size of this table, but like the licking branch is what was impressive. Cause you can tell they've used this tree for multiple years. Yeah. It's how twisted and gnarled and just jacked up it was. But uh, anyways, I kind of swung out there and kind of, you know, hiked back up to the truck and had to slip through those ponds and everything and, uh, you know, found some more good sign in the ponds. But it was like that SMZ just sets up so good to catch that movement going across from one pine thicket to the next pine thicket just because, you know, it's not like a, you know, a lot of SMZs, you know, a lot of times they'll, unless it's like going up into a clear cut where like the the head of the SMZ typically isn't going to be as steep as the bottom of it, like at the very bottom towards the creek side. This one is kind of like that, but it's just so so steep for the first half of the SMZ as it goes up. The deer just aren't crossing. Like, there's no tracks, no trails. They're side hill, but they're not really crossing. The second it rolls out to, like, being more gentle, that's where they're at. And that's an area, like, dude, I feel very confident going in there, even, like, just bow hunting. Yeah. And catching deer, slipping across in that one spot. And, like, especially going in there, like, a light and variable day where you just have, like, that falling thermal in the afternoon. <sighs> I think it'd be killer. Mm. Um but yeah, that, that that was pretty interesting, just kind of seeing that, and just like the amount of scrapes we found. Like when JT, so where JT shot his buck at, I had been in there. Um, he hunted it maybe a week ago. Now I went in a couple of days later. I was like, hey, because he told me he's like, dude, if you want to go in there and hunt it, you can. But I'm like, 
hey, I just I hunted another spot in the general area. I'm like, hey, I'm going to go over here and scout it. So I walked in and uh, kind of walked the little logging road that he's, you know, had, you know, seen some sign on. And he talked about, like, he'd hunted off this little logging road. And uh, the day he went in, there was, like, two scrapes on that logging road, like, in a little low spot. And then when he walked out from that morning, there was, like, three brand new scrapes there. Oh, wow. And he's like, so there was, like, five scrapes. I go in there, and there's, like, 18 scrapes. (laughs) Oh, God. Or 20 scrapes. 25. It was Every every, every limb that was hanging in that logging road would have had a scrape underneath, like pretty, really really nice scrapes, and uh, and it was it did a loop through there, found some big rubs, and then I swung around to a different uh, little pine thicket that I haven't been in in years, dude. I, I mean, probably five years, and whenever probably twenty almost four years ago, twenty I think it was twenty nineteen. You and me hunted over there when it rained downpour. I was actually deer hunting in waders and a rain jacket. It was raining that hard. <laughs> yeah, that was 2019. That um, was right before I got married and I broke my toe trying to rattle in a buck. Yeah, so <laughs> I swung through an area right there. We had two different aged pines that come together. Um, and when I got into that spot, there was a couple scrapes right there, but nothing overly impressive. And then all of a sudden, I get to this area, and it is seriously 35 to 40 yards long and probably 25 yards wide, where the ground just looks destroyed. It looked like hogs came through. Best yeah. way to describe it. And... Uh, but there's, I don't think there's, there's no pigs over in this area. Um, so I'm like, what, what, what's going on here? And I look down and all of a sudden I just start seeing like tufts of deer here. And then I see like a giant buck track. And then I look over to the left and I see a pine tree the size of like maybe an inch and a half in diameter, almost two inches diameter. That is com- brain, that's green laid over on the ground. I'm like, what the heck is, what the heck did that? I'll, I'll walk up to it. And in the bark of that little pine tree, Again, eight foot tall, nine foot tall tree that's only about an inch and a half wide, two inches wide. There's deer hair embedded into the actual bark. And Somebody I'm like, got their butt whooped. And I kept looking, and there's like clumps of deer hair laying everywhere with just the grounds torp and big buck tracks. Then I started looking at some of these bigger pine trees next to me. And I'm like, what? Like, it looks like it's like the barks kind of fell off of it. Mm-hmm. And I go walk up to it, and there's deer hair embedded, you know, like thigh high on the tree. God. And I'm like, Dude, there was two bucks probably locked up, yeah. going to war, trying to kill each other, yep. just running into all this stuff. And I mean, God. I've never seen like a sparring site or like a little a fight site where these bucks had fought before. I've never seen one look this toward. Like typically, you'll find one maybe like, you know, there'll be some big dugout tracks, ten, 10 and... to fifteen feet wide, something like that. Like you know, they kind of fought for a sec, you know, a couple seconds, and then they bounce. This is like they were going at it for a while. Yeah. Okay. Oh. And I would have paid to be able to just listen to it. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh yeah, because when you hear one like that, dude, it is like so much louder than you think it would be. Like they're, like you said it best. They're they are trying to kill each other. Yeah. Well, and, and I told JT this, and this is before JT killed that buck. I was like, hey, dude. And there was also the one like, really, bro, you need to be. There's in like there. one really big scrape down in there, and I, I didn't have any cameras with me. I'm like, dude, if you got cameras, like I know you got one camera in one of these spots. Like I'd bring like. Six or eight trail cameras in here, and I just scatter them through this area. Okay. Yep. And uh, first time, or I think, yeah, the first day he goes back in there right after that rain, freaking killed that buck, which I don't think it was one of the bucks in the fight because I looked at him, he didn't look like he was missing hair. Because whichever bucks were in this fight, you're going to tell because they're going to have all freaking patches of hair missing off of them mm. uh, from going to war. But it was just crazy because I've, I've seen like, I've seen like a little bit of hair in a fight, like you know where bucks have sparred and fought before. But this is like I'm talking like clumps of hair, like hair that's like, you know, it's laying there and it's like you know three inches in diameter of like just deer hair laying there, like back hair and rump hair, and it's just like God, man, that's yeah, crazy. Someone got their butt whooped, yep, so big time. 
But yeah, that that was that was pretty fascinating. But it, it was cool to see JT go in there and have success and, and, and kill a really nice buck. Um, hey, that's another spot that just goes to show the annual pattern thing. Me and JT hunted that area like five years ago or something, like yeah. a long time ago. And actually, we did, we weren't even hunting that particular spot where that saddle he killed his buck in, where it goes over that little logging road mm-hmm. and goes into the other SMZ mm-hmm. over where near where Pike killed his buck. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started in that SMZ where it kind of branches out, and we put a camera right there, just like looking back, like on nothing. Like I don't even know what we put the camera on, and uh, we got some deer, but we were like, oh, they got to be coming through here. And eventually, I started hunting different areas, but JT kind of stuck right there. And he eventually put that camera right in the middle of that saddle. And for like the last three years, he's had studs walking through that thing. Hammers. Middle of the day, 10 a.m., 7 a.m., just whenever. Like broad daylight, big bucks. Like Like big bucks. Like top, like top, top top percentile buck. Top 5% bucks for this area, for sure. Walking through there in daylight. And. You know, you know, like we're all working and and we can't just like live out in the woods and hunt. But it was it was only a matter of time before you know our basically our schedules aligned with a buck, and that that was it for JT this weekend. You know, he was able to get out there on a gun hunt. He went and put in his time, and it finally came together in that spot. But that's like that's the culmination of like three years of running cameras in that spot, mm-hmm. and between like December first and December fifteenth every year. They're coming through there in daylight pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. Not like every day, but like if you could string together three or four days of hunting and you stay in there, like you're going to get a crack at a buck. Uh, and it and it worked out for him. So I'm like, I've, I was so thrilled, man. I was really happy that JT got a big one. Yeah. I was like, hey, he called me. Uh, I, was, I was actually heading to church that morning and uh, he's like, hey, man. And he, like I knew he was hunting that morning because me and him were talking about it and everything. He actually he borrowed that little climbing platform that I got, yeah. Um, and he was gonna go in there and try to climb some pine trees and stuff, and sit at the head of this little SMZ. And uh, he called me at seven thirty, and he's like, and he's just, I'm like, hey man. He's like, hey. And I'm like, what's <laughs> up? And I'm like, and the way he was talking, I'm like, he's not in the woods right now. Like, yeah, well, yeah. Like, did you like not go hunt? He's like. Man, I killed me a big one. Shot, shot me a big one. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? He's like, dude, he's like, man, he, he's like, I was sitting there trying to pick out a tree. Rain had just stopped. Been there for 10 minutes. That sucker came off on one hillside, down the SMZ, came up the other side, shot me at 40 yards. Mm. And I'm like, boy. Got so, it. Yep, yeah. same thing. It, yeah, yeah. Like you see, you see JT calling you at like seven thirty-five a.m. You're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, please don't tell me your truck's stuck. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, it, it, that was, that was awesome to kind of see. And, um, but, but again, it kind of goes back to, you know, that area has a concentration of bucks during certain times of the year. Cause JT's had, you know, camera in there for so long that he's like, there's a annual pattern in this specific area where there is only a certain window of time. You're going to have like mature bucks on camera and yep. then you will not see them again Potential. I mean, he left one. He left his camera out there, dude, all year last year. He he went back to pick it up, like November the twenty third, twenty fourth, and he had a shooter on camera on the twenty third. <laughs> yeah, like right after. Or I think it was in the middle of the night at that point. But and then put some fresh batteries in it and put the camera back out and everything. But it's like there's like a window of time when he sees like this activity. It's a, it's a spot that like there's probably some does moving through there, but for whatever reason, the bucks like transitioning through this kind of habitat, you know, through this area during a very short window of time, Yeah. Uh, which kind of goes back to, again, the advantage, like we talked about earlier in this podcast, 
that if you can, if you can, if you have, even if you just have three or four cameras, if you can put them in areas, kind of like what we've talked about, whether it's on like a primary community scrape or like, and again, like in JT's standpoint, he's not putting it on a scrape. He's putting it on a, on a travel corridor, like, yep. or just a funnel. Like Perry. Yeah. Just like Michael Perry. <clears throat> and you can figure out if you can, if you can suck it up and leave it in there for at least three or four months yep. and just see what happens. Um, it might, it might, you, you know, it, you might feel like it's a waste because you only really get much on it. Kind of like camera, you just went and pulled, and there's like one good deer, but that deer, that camera's been in there since turkey season. Yeah, um, man. When I went and got that camera, I'm like, why did I put this camera? Right? I must have been delirious because I'd walked so far at that point, and I've been up so long. I was like, whatever. I came this far, I'm putting this freaking camera yeah. out somewhere. But or it could be like on the flip side, like JT, where like he finds the X, mm-hmm. and now has you know a bunch of different deer to kind of go after. So that, that kind of just goes back to uh, there's, I think there's a huge advantage. If you can, if you get the resources to have enough cameras to go do this, how valuable it can be, especially if it's, whether it's your hunting club, family farm, lease, public land, it doesn't matter. If, if you know you're going to be able to hunt this for a couple of years, and it's not just like a, a one year thing. I don't know if I'm going to be able to you know, hunt again next year. There's so much information that you can learn from doing something like what JT's done. Oh, yeah, dude, 100%. And, like, we'll get questions about it pretty often uh, of, like, how to scout area or, like, where to put your cameras. I'll say if, like, if you live in, like, Georgia, for instance, just hypothetically, if you live in Georgia and you want to extend your season and you want to hop on over to Alabama Mm -hmm. and catch this, like, really late rut that we got. Like a lot of you Georgia folks already do. Like a lot of y'all already do. But let's say that your your vacation time's gone, or you just can't spend a lot more time, you know, travel. Like you can't go spend four days in Alabama hunting. Mm-hmm. Well, if you could get one day, and you could you could pick out wherever you want to go, whether it's like a private piece you got or some public, and go out there and like, sure, take the gun, take the bow, but like just freaking walk it and have two or three trail cameras and stick them out. And let them sit through the rut. Let them sit through the end of season. And Especially then come, if you can't get back and hunt. Come get them whenever you can get them. Come get them in June if yeah. you have to. Uh, that will be way more valuable than you like coming over here and just climbing a tree and hoping you kill a deer. Yeah. You know, like uh, if like if I had like for instance, if it, if the roles were reversed and I was going to like Tennessee mm-hmm. over the next two two three weeks and I had two days to hunt, but I knew it was something I wanted to do next year too, I'd probably just walk for two days. Like, I might set up on the second day in, like, the afternoon if I've kind of walked everything I want to walk. But I want to get out. I want to deploy cameras because I want that annual pattern because that is, like, gold. Mm -hmm. It is, like, gold uh, having those annual patterns and being able to take advantage of that. So I think that's the subject of this podcast, man. That's that's the kind of thing that fires me up because it's it's been something that's worked for us for a couple years now, and it's it's becoming, like, my main thing. I mean, it's kind of like what I'm – out of all the stuff that that we talk about on the podcast and all the people that we we interview, like the my main tactic, I feel like I'm kind of like going into is that is is scrapes and annual patterns because it's just especially for somebody like me, I got limited time to hunt. A lot of people listening to this are in a really similar situation, uh, so it's like if you can't just go spend a lot of time in the woods every year and, and you have to be more precise, annual patterns are going to be your best friend for sure. Yep. So. Uh, it's it's worked out good for me. We had a question like two weeks ago about that, about having like a higher ratio or whatever of, yeah. of hunts, and that's how it's been this year for me so far. And I think that's why it's the annual pattern thing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm able to go in and 
and just get it done like kind of fast if I have an annual pattern. I'm not like, you know, guys like Andy May are really good at going and, and just getting it done in like a brand new area really fast. I, I'm not good at that, but I'm starting to figure out the annual pattern thing for sure. Yeah. So th- there's a lot to be said about it, making making an investment where you know you're going to hunt this for a couple years. Yeah. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spur Master and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spur Master call and success call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com, use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you can head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. Let's get to some Q&As. Let's do it. Well, where can people do the, the Q&As? Where can they submit so, those? So, listener Q&As, you can submit down the show notes of the podcast and also on the YouTube video. Again, if you're watching the podcast on YouTube right now, um, there's a link down below to submit your listener Q&A for us to be able to kind of answer on these outro episodes. Um, or you can also just go, you know, if you don't want to do that, you want to make it a little more difficult on yourself, you can just go to the southernoutdoorsmen.com, and there's a tab on the website for listener Q&As, along with listener success stories. Again, you guys have been hammering some bucks over the last two weeks, and uh, love seeing the listener success stories come in. We just had one guy, um, oh, what is his name? Uh, last name Knight. Uh, Tate Knight? Tate Knight, I think, from uh, Georgia killed a giant. Killed a hammer. Dude, listen, Tate, congratulations, man, because that's one hell of a taxidermy bill. I swear, if you your amount of that deer, you're a savage. <laughs> or if you just cut the horns off, God bless you, dude. Listen. Hey, that's that's a that's a flex if you do that. <laughs> you looking it up? Yeah. Oh, t- yeah, 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 Tate Knight. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Tate Knight. Giant deer. In Georgia. Yeah, we've got a bunch of, like, Big, big deer. Yeah. I'm listening to success stories. Y'all putting us to shame. Yeah, I'm like, huh. 
Like, you want to share a pen with a brother? Yeah, for real. <laughs> All right, this is from Joseph Peebles from Alabama. He said, have y'all ever saw a doe open up slash work a scrape? Saw and heard a few do this. Um, what does that mean when this happens? Does it only happen when the deer population is out of proportion? Um, no, I would say it does not happen when the deer population is out of proportion. Uh, it's very nor- uh, it's normal. Like, does and bucks work scrapes? And you'll have does like work a licking branch, you know, kind of any time. I mean, they will do it outside of the rut, but it's like when you know you're coming into the rut and you you have a camera on a, a big old fat community scrape in a good travel corridor and you have a doe come in and she's all up in that licking branch and she's just going crazy and she's wagging her tail and she's doing all kinds of stuff, like, man, you better get in there. I think we've had three does in the last two or three days actually come in to one of these community scrapes, paw the ground, open it up, which yep. it's already open. It's gigantic. Yeah. Uh, and then hit the looking branch and then kind of mosey on. Yep. Like, I mean, so like, yes, does absolutely will work a scrape. But I think it's during a very short window of time. I don't think they're not going to work a scrape as early. Like, I say work a scrape. I'm not talking about hitting the looking branch. I'm talking about like actually working the ground itself. Yeah, pawing the ground out. They're probably not going to do that as early as a buck's going to do it, clearly. Yeah. But when it, you start getting around prime time when that doe is like, hey, you know, I'm you know, starting to feel pretty good. Yep. I think that's when they're probably going to start implementing that a little bit more and start doing it. And then when that happens, you better be in there. So, again, we've got does doing it right now. God. We need to be in there in the next three to four days, five days, six days. Yep, 100%. Uh, all right, next up, this is from, uh, man, I hope, I'm sorry if I get this name wrong, Savino Lugo from Alabama. Sorry if I got your name wrong. Did the best I could. He said, hey guys, great videos and lots of detail and information. I'm 25 and have zero experience in hunting. I recently came into possession of 120 acres of land to hunt. I'm licensed licensed and already have a rifle that I'm proficient with. As a beginner, what should I do to get started? Jacob, you got to fire it up there a little bit. Let me know what county is, man. I will te- I will guide you on the hunt. I ain't going to take a weapon, dude. That sounds like a good time. Um, <laughs> no, that's awesome you got 120 acres, man. That is freaking awesome. When you say you come in possession, did you get like access or do you actually own the property? I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question. Now, uh, it depends on how the property sets up. I'll say that first. You know, is it just, is it all timber? You know, is it mostly hardwoods, mostly pines? Is it... Mostly pine trees and then little hardwood ranges, little SMZs running through it. You know, is there open fields on it? Um, does it have a little bit of ag? If you're in Alabama, probably not, unless you're in a couple different spots of Alabama. Um, you know, is it on a major river? It does it have a creek system running through it. There's a bunch of different factors, but and also is it hilly or is it flat? Yeah. Um, so there's a bunch of different factors there. Andrew, before I go on a ramble, what would be some of your things to pay attention to? Without overcomplicating it, I would say uh, walk the property as, as best you can. 120 acres is, is pretty big, but it's not giant. Um, you can cover that pretty quickly. So if you have terrain, like let's say it's, it's terrain and there's hills on it, but it's like a uh, big timber. Mm-hmm. Like you can literally go out there knowing nothing and, ju- and literally just walk around. And what you're naturally going to do is you're going to follow the path of least resistance and the deer are going to do that too. And so you're going to run into deer sign doing that. If there's something on the property, like if there's any timber management on the property, like some like cutovers from the past, uh, pine thickets, if there's any kind of habitat diversity on the property, you could, I, I would go and hit all those edges. And I would just go walk all the edges. Oh, 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 camera checking. Oh, it's a, what is Kyan? that, a coon? Uh, oh, no, fox. it's a fox. 
The, the fox was on both cameras. What? Yep, right there. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. So I, w- I would go walk all the habitat edges, and even if your habitat edges are the property lines, uh, walk the property lines and and look at those edges, because uh, that those are gonna be the things that hold the deer. So like really just start by doing that, and then once you have a, a good inventory of what the sign looks like, then everything else can kind of start falling into place. Like then you can determine like. What kind of sign is this? What does it mean? Where is the feed at? But the problem is, brand new hunter might not know exactly what certain sign may look like in great detail. Um, so that's why he's listening to the Southern that, Outdoorsman podcast. That's very true. So you need to be, you need to fam- familiarize yourself with what a scrape will look like, what yep. rubs look like, of course, what a deer track looks like, um, and then deer droppings, um, yes. scat, whatever you want to call it, poop, you know, whatever you want to say. Um, so you need to understand like what all that kind of looks like, and then also what does that mean? Um, if there's creeks on the property, definitely walk the creeks itself. Uh, if they're really deep, you know, just walk like one bank or the other and look for crossings. Like look for a trail, which will look like a little, it looks like a little tiny little hiking trail. You know, yep. it'll be about six eight inches wide, coming down from one side, crossing the creek, and look for tracks in there. Yep. Again, if you're a brand new deer hunter. Don't worry about going to kill a big buck. Just go kill some deer, okay? Yeah. Um, you get three buck tags. You know, if you want to shoot, you know, three decent bucks, you know, you want to kill a spike. And I think in Alabama, you got to have one with three points on one side, I think, for one of your deer. I or think four so. points, three points, whatever. I think it's three. Um, for so one just, of them. So just go have fun with it. But those creeks would be great for just finding tracks and trail crossings right there. Also, look at if you, you know, if you're using like Onyx and you look at your aerial, aerial imagery, Walk your habitat edges. So if it's all timber, there's no open fields or anything like that, and there's no clear cuts where they're coming through and cutting all the timber out, look at where you have, like, pines to hardwoods. Again, pines will be green on aerial imagery. Hardwoods, especially in a fall-time image, like Onyx has that recent aerial imagery feature now. Um, that, that well, that, I can't talk, that uh, filter. And you can actually just walk the edge of those hardwoods and those pines or walk any kind of habitat edge. If you're walking through the woods... And like what Andrew's saying, like you're kind of taking the path of least resistance, which I was going to ask you, how would you describe the path of least resistance? The path that has the least resistance. So the natural path you just <laughs> yeah. kind of tend to go. I mean, like, like instead of walking up the super steep slope, you walk up where it's not quite as steep. Okay. Or instead of walking over the tip top of the ridge, you go around the edge of the ridge where it's not, you know, yeah. you don't have to walk up and over. Good so pa- path, path of least resistance. So while you're doing that, if you happen to come upon like other habitat edges, where maybe there's like some shrubbery, shrubbery, if you know if you have creeks on the place, you may have like Chinese privet, which is an invasive plant species that's pretty widespread in the southeast. If you have like a thick row of that or a thick bunch of that, walk the edge of it, and that's those edges, those subtle habitat edges where you have like different age timber or different plant species kind of coming together that's where you're going to find a lot of your path of travel for a lot of deer. You should find scrapes. You should find rubs. You're probably going to find tracks, deer beds, all that kind of stuff. And you kind of pay attention to that. Now, if you're rifle hunting, there's a couple episodes you might want to go back and listen to, specifically, uh, you know, hunting some of this kind of stuff. But I would say, uh, I can't say your name again. No, I changed, I changed Oh, well, anyways. Um Write in. I'd love for you to write back in and give us a little more information on what the property actually looks like, and maybe we can go in a more in depth on another yeah. Q and A, you know, on a future episode. Yeah, for sure. And also, I'd go into the annual pattern thing. Like, if you can go get you a twenty eight dollar Tasco camera from Walmart, or or go buy fifteen Browning cameras, like whatever you want to do. 
uh, I, I would invest in a couple trail cameras and put them on the property. Even even if you're not sure what to put them on, just like get them out there. Get them on a deer trail. Get them on a, a creek crossing, like what mm-hmm. you were saying. And uh, that's something that's going to pay you next year. It's going to pay you back. You're making an investment yep. in your deer hunting. All right. This one uh, is from Ty Valentine from Arkansas. He said, do you have any way to determine potential hunting pressure when picking clear cuts to rifle hunt? I know you can usually expect other hunters in public land spots that are obvious on a map, like ponds and food plots. Ponds, interesting. Uh, Especially when access is nearby. Uh, Clear cuts tend to be obvious on maps and have some kind of trail slash road to them. So what factors do uh, make you think that a specific clear cut will draw too many people? Thanks in advance. Ooh, that's an interesting one. Number one factor. Tell you right now, I'm going to cut you off. If there's a lot of good climbable, like, yeah, cl- like, yeah. For, for if there's a lot of pine trees or oaks or, or, you know, around the edge of it or poplars or whatever, that someone can take a climbing tree and a climber and climb up to 25 or 30 feet without hitting a limb, you're going to have guys there. Okay. 100%. And it, of course, if it's not too terribly far from access road, you know, if it's less than, half a mile from access path, and it's not a terrible walk, like you don't have to walk through a lot of thick stuff to get there, you're probably going to have company. Um, yep. The clear cuts that I think we've had a lot of success on, you don't have a lot of trees on the edge of them that you can get a climbing tree stand in. Yeah. Um, so every now and then, you know, we've we've had success using climbers in some spots where, like, you know, maybe you, it's a really far off uh, clear cut or you get on the back side of a clear cut, like if the access road's on one side, but that's like the closest access, but there's another access road I can come in from that's three quarters of a mile away, but I can come into the back side of that clear cut. Sometimes by just doing that coming from the back side and getting on the back side of where the access road is, um, that's maybe a little bit closer to the clear cut, you can kind of get on the back side of some of that hunting pressure. Because the thing is, you can still have success, you know, killing a nice buck, especially during the rut, on a clear cut, even if there's a couple other guys sitting on it. Okay. 100%. So I'll give you a great example. Last year situation, me and Andrew walked to a spot, hunted a clear cut, maybe a little close to the road, really <laughs> close to the road. Pretty close. And uh, actually where I climbed, I could see the trucks. Um, and we had a guy walking on us. We had been sitting in the stand for, I've been sitting in the stand for 30, 45 minutes in the dark. And it still was 30 minutes before daylight. And we had a guy walk in, walks in 30 yards from me. And I talked to him, I'm like, what you doing? He's like, man, I'm going to go back in this area. My, my buddy's sitting 125 yards back behind me, okay? And long story short, he goes and climbs a tree 20 yards from Andrew. Um, yep. Andrew has Not a, a fun morning. Andrew had a little hissy fit, got yeah. down, went and hunted a different spot. But this dude was sitting on the back side of me, like literally 125 yards away from me. I saw two different bucks that morning that he didn't see, and he saw a buck that I didn't see. Yeah. In the same, in the 125 yards from each other. So to me, I'm not so worried about the hunting pressure um, as long as like, they're just not going in there and just like hammering a ton of deer. It also depends on the clear cut too. Cause that, the one you're, you're talking about is like chest high sage grass, hard to see into, yep. like you got to climb way up and yep. even then it's still hard to see a deer in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's like a brand new clear cut and it's like barren ground and there's like little, little, uh, bunch grasses all over the place, but it's open and you can kind of watch the whole thing easily. That's a problem. That's different. Yeah. Uh, if it's if it's kind of thicker and it's got cover, you know, because even, you you climb forty feet in that pine tree and you're still only really looking at like a little hundred 
50 yard bubble around you where you got a good enough angle to like see down into that tall grass. Like yeah. you might see something further out there, like bits and pieces of it, but it's going to be really hard. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's, that, that's that specific situation. But I agree if it's got perfect climbable trees all over it. I mean, yeah, there's going to be guys hunting it, but I, I wouldn't really worry about it. It's such good habitat that I, I wouldn't worry about it a lot. But also, the size of the clear cut matters. The size of the clear cut, and you know, by definition, every one hundred percent of clear cuts have a road going straight to them, and people will walk a road for a long, long, long ways. Yep. Oh, we forgot to talk about barefoot guy. Oh, we're we're gonna okay, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that after this you know, after this Q and A. Yeah. Um. Uh. So, um. Every, like people will it doesn't matter if it's like a mile and a half mm. somebody's walking to that clear cut for sure mm. it's happening uh whether or not there's a lot of people walking to it, it's a different story so i mean obviously the further away it is from where you have to park the better and the harder it is to actually walk to it the better so it's like if you got to park at a gate or a trailhead or whatever and and walk a mile to the clear cut, but on the way to that clear cut, you got to go down one big old drainage and back up the other side, and then down another drainage and back mm-hmm. up. Then that's gonna that's gonna cut down significantly on the amount of people getting back there. Yeah, and, you know, and if you're and if it's a two hundred acre clear cut way back there, and there's one other dude who's you know hardcore enough to walk that far in hunting it, I don't really worry about that. Yeah, like he might he might end up killing the buck, or whatever. But it's not like it's not like you're dealing with the masses coming in, and, and hopefully you run into that guy and you can strike something up with him, and and uh, you guys can kind of share a little bit of information and help each other out. Yeah, to me the size of the clear cut matters. Like if it's a fifteen to twenty acre clear cut, which we don't typically see a whole bunch of those, um, you know, that's going to be hunting pressure on that could be more intense than if you have a hundred acre clear cut or even bigger than that, or like. You know, if it's a 100-acre clear cut, you could be on one side. There could be a guy 400 yards across the other side. There's deer in the middle that don't know either one of you guys are potentially there. Yeah. So it's it's not as it's not a huge deal for me if it's, like, a really big clear cut. Um, yeah. So I, I would take that consideration as well. And also, like what Andrew was saying, what you were saying, um, if it's a very young clear cut, like one to maybe two years old, where it's like – you could cl- if you climb up thirty foot up a tree, you can shoot almost the whole thing. Yeah. And say it's kind of flat and there's just not a whole bunch of cover, and the deer still use it. That's going to have more hunting pressure because you could also have guys hunting off the ground and not even using climbing stands. And we, yeah. I know some guys that hunt local to us that have had a tremendous amount of success. Try yeah. to get him on the podcast. He don't want to come on the podcast, <laughs> but um, killed some huge deer. And he loves one of the guys specifically loves to ground hunt clear cuts and just walk the edges of them yep. and like just slip hunt, steel hunt around them mm-hmm. and just catch bucks coming in and out of a parallel in those clear cuts. Um, and that can work for you too. I, don't, I haven't had success. I haven't really tried doing that though. Um, but when you start getting in a clear cut, that's like three, four years old when it's like, those pine trees, if they're planting pines back, which a lot of us in the southeast, if they're going to clear cut something, they're going to probably plant pines back. But I've also been in other states where they clear cut and they just let naturally regen yeah. and regenerate with like hardwood saplings and stuff because uh, they don't have sweet gums for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those might take a lot longer for them to get aged out. But in the southeast, the deep south, if, it, if they're planting pines within three to four years, three years, those pine trees are going to be chest high. Four years, those pine trees might be seven, eight feet tall. And when they get that high, depending on how how tight of a uh, what's it called a basal area, I mean they plant per acre. Yeah. Because um, I've seen some. Well, that's not really basal area. Okay. But, but what's the term, Mister? I went to forestry school at Auburn. 
He would. He put me on the spot. It's not basil area. <laughs> Damn, you filled that class. Basil area would be when they cut. If you imagine they cut all the trees down uh-huh. and then they measure the area of the stumps. Oh, okay. That is basil area. Okay. Well, yeah, so yes. basil area, it could be like a high basil area if you have like giant freaking trees, or it could be a high basil area if you have a high density of you know decent sized trees. Okay. Well, I, there's a clear cut close to us. Yeah. The right hand side of the road when you drive back out of here going to town. Mm-hmm. That is, I've never seen a clear cut planted that thick with pine trees. Oh really. Have you? Did you? I don't know if you've noticed on the right hand side of the road. It is literally. I'm trying, there. I'm trying. Wait, what part of town is it in? No, no, like if you go towards town right here before you hit the four way, right on the right hand side, there's a clear cut right here on the right side across from that little bean field. Oh, and it is the densest I've ever seen a clear cut planted. With I saw pines. a big old buck walking into that a couple weeks well, ago. But what I'm saying is, it is those pine tree saplings are, and it's young. Those pine trees are only probably. The sapling's probably two years old. They are so tight, there is no grass growing, okay? Mm-hmm. The the clear cuts, I like, I, I've never seen something like that in public land where they're that tightly planted. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, like in the areas that we typically hunt, they'll plant them and they'll be spaced out enough that there's going to be like broom sedge and, you know, uh, what, big blue stem and all this other yeah. kind of grasses growing up. And when you get to like three years old, like you'll have pine trees that are like, you know, chest high whatever Mm -hmm. but you're gonna have all this grass growing up which also makes it really hard to see the deer but they can slip through it real easy that's what i like to hunt because Mm -hmm. when it gets that big you cannot hunt on the ground like if you hunt on the ground you can only kill them if they get on the edge or maybe walk through a roadbed or something crossing it but if you can climb up 25 35 feet up you can kind of see down into it and you can get bits and pieces and i've killed two bucks um last couple years in areas just like that where you get up real high you look down into it and like you can't always see the deer, but you see him right here, and then he might disappear for a little bit, and he'll pop out right here in this little opening, and he, you know, take a shot. 100%. Yeah, and going back to the original question, like, how can you predict whether or not, like, there's going to be hunting pressure? And especially, you know, if, if guys are coming from up north, and they're coming down south this time of year, or they're looking at coming down south to extend their season a little bit, like, if it's a clear cut, it's getting hunted. Somebody's hunting that clear cut 100%, bet money on it. Uh, but again, you know, going back to the thing, if it's a really big clear cut, it's not a big deal. So we've had some areas in the past where, <laughs> so we've had some areas in the past where it's been, there's been a large clear cut that's hard enough to get to that it knocks out some of the pressure, but there's still, you know, a decent number of guys hunting it that we run into. I'm thinking of South Alabama where we yeah, ran yeah. into old Scram uh-huh. and uh, that Huge area. clear cut. Massive cut. And, I mean, there's probably 10 other guys hunting that thing. Yeah. But it's so big that it didn't matter. I mean, that, that sucker was so lamb full of bucks. Yeah. And does. Uh, so, you know, any any obstacle you can put between you and the clear cut, obviously, is going to cut down on people. So those are just kind of rules of thumb. If you've got, like, a flat roadbed that will go straight to it and you only got to walk a couple hundred yards, like, that thing is going to get hammered. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. Uh, but, you know, other than that... Um, Dude, we got to talk about barefoot guy before we wrap this thing up. Mm-hmm. So, me and you were on this this uh, this hilly, you know, kind of more ridge unit that we were hunting, in, and we were walking up this this one particular ridge. It's just like a long ridge system, mm-hmm. and it's where our cameras are at. It's where we ended up putting our cameras at. But this is the day we went to go put those cameras out. <clears throat> we haven't really seen anybody else in here last year, uh, and we go walking in. There's a couple trucks in the area. Uh, but there was no trucks parked like where we parked and, <laughs> yeah. and we're walking into. So I'm like, okay, yeah, nobody's in here. And uh, we found last year we found some spots where some guys had sat on the ground. They'd scraped out a little mm-hmm. spot for themselves to sit. 
And so we know people are hunting it, but we go walking in there and we're three quarters of a mile back mm-hmm. one way. So we've just been walking one way the whole time, three quarters of a mile, side hill and through pretty rough stuff. Oh yeah. Um like thick mountain laurel, you gotta crawl over crap and a place where you get bit by a timber house and they can a heartbeat. Yeah. For and sure. It, it was warm that day too. Yeah. You because know, we were in t shirts walking. Yes, hundred percent. And so we're like way back in here and I, I suddenly hear like a child's voice. Yeah. I, which is off putting and that I'm like <laughs> I'm like looking around. I'm you like, hear voices? I, I, I turned around to you. I was like, "Did you hear that?" And like, I, I can see him up the trail. And then up the so, little ridge. So I, I hear like a little kid's voice, and I'm like, "Did you just hear that?" And I, I turn around to you, and then I, I look back, and here comes this dude and his kid walking towards us. You know, kind of side hilling around this ridge. Guys in camo, wearing a like a hat and everything, like a big old what was he wearing? Booney like, hat. Booney hat. And uh, they walk up, and we're like, hey, what's up, man? And, you know, we exchanged some words for him. He's like, he was talking about seeing a bunch of scrapes up ahead. He's pawings. like, Yeah, he called them pawings. Oh, a bunch of pawings up there. That's a North Alabama thing right there, dude. Yep. Well, other people, like, I hear Arkansas guys. Uh, Sonny McCumsey calls them pawings. Yeah, yeah. But but that, in Alabama, I only hear that in, like, North Alabama. Yeah. Nobody, nobody says that anywhere else. But he's, he's like, there's a couple of pawns up there. Like, y'all probably kill that buck this afternoon. Like, you'll probably see him. He's got him fresh tore up. I'm like, oh, dude, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. And uh, I was like, do you see that rub back down the trail? He's like, no, I must have missed that. And, and, and remember, so more – th- And this is also what I'm talking about, by the way, with, like, kind of chatting it up with other hunters that you run into uh-huh. and just see what they say, man. More context. This guy ha- doesn't have a backpack, doesn't have a weapon. He's just in camouflage. Yep. Walking with this kid who's not in camouflage, wearing jeans and some kind. You know, kid can't be seven years old, little boy. Yep. <clears throat> yep. And uh, anyways, I happen while he's talking, Andrew's like cutting the conversation. I just happen to look down, and I just realize <laughs> this dude is barefoot with some of the palest feet I've ever seen, walking through some gnarly stuff. You could not pay me to walk back in there barefoot. Ain't no way. Listen, I'm I'm too heavy set, and I got too. Too sore, too soft of to feet, bro. That would not happen. You got dishwasher hands, got dishwasher oh, feet, man, whatever. Dude, it, oh my god, yeah, no. Um, and I thought you noticed. No, I didn't. So see. like, we go to like, like no socks, no, just barefoot. I'm talking barefoot with some hairy toes, bro. Freaking, I mean, a Maxwell he, special. He's, he's grounding with yeah. the earth. And uh, I, I'm telling, you, like, he's we're walking through some stuff that like. Even with the boots, like you might like roll your ankle on something. There's, you know, there's rocks, sticks, thorns. Dude, he he briars. got that monkey feet. He can grip the side of the hill and them feet. Dude, he's got some asphalt feet, dude. He's got, I mean, he's got some feet that are got to be rock solid. Okay. After after running into him, him being barefoot back there, it made me want to go walk in there barefoot. See if I can do it. Ain't no way in hell. I can do it for sure. Okay. Dude, I go barefoot. It was actually a running joke when I started dating <laughs> Tiffany because on our first date, I was barefoot, and. uh <laughs> and her dad her dad on like the first our first date there was like a city park in the town we grew up in and there's like a little creek going through it and they were supposed to meet me at the creek or whatever like meet me at the park and they found me and i was in the creek and i was barefoot and i did not have shoes with me and i was like far from my home and i didn't have any shoes or anything and i just remember like looking up at my now father-in-law steve and he was like he was standing up on the creek bank like looking down in the creek at me he's like really <laughs> like this is the guy Anyways, all that to say, dude, I love going barefoot. Well, I think I could do it. Okay. Well, you have that. it. So when we turned to walk away, I thought we were going to get like 10, 15 yards and we were stopping, but what was up with his bare feet? And like, you never stopped. It's like, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. And I'm like, and like, you stopped and you're like, what? And I'm like, did you not see? Did you not look at his feet? 
And you're like, no, what are you talking about? I'm like, he had no shoes. <laughs> no shoes. No socks. I'm talking about pale white feet. Like this dude, this dude had no tan, okay? Pale white feet. Into some hairy toes, man. Yeah, I'm talking barefoot and leaves, <laughs> sticks and briars. No equipment whatsoever. No, I mean no backpack. He had no, a pistol. No, did he? Yeah, he had a pistol. Oh, I didn't notice that. You know, he's a little little sidearm. That's hunt. all you need, bro. Dude, listen, I, I'm just like, God, man. And you're like, oh, dude, I was like, there, there is no freaking <laughs> way. Like, he's going to get tagged by a copperhead or a timber rattlesnake on the way back to the car. Dude. Uh, that's all right. It's all part of the experience. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, until you miss a toe. And like, dude, I'm telling you, man, like. You, if you got if you got some like ambidextrous feet or whatever, like you know you can you can kind of move them toes, grip stuff. You remember that time that we went scouting on a we went to Oak Mountain State Park and we filmed a freaking scouting video because mm-hmm. like you can't hunt there, or at least you you can't really like it's not open hunting. Yeah. <clears throat> so we went there to go film a scouting video and I forgot my boots that day, and so I was in some like raggedy old tennis shoes mm-hmm. that didn't have any tread on them, and you were impressed with when we went up on the mountain because dude i got i got monkey feet son i can grip the side of the hill with my feet i swear in tennis shoes yeah you remember that yeah i, mean, I remember but yeah no. you were impressed yeah. I, d- I didn't fall one time yeah. you fell yeah i didn't fall you were wearing your lowest i was in tennis shoes i never fell yep no anyway yeah you, you probably could relate with them but i was like that dude psycho man like that that after you <laughs> told me that i'm like i like that guy now like, I bet that guy's a killer, dude. I bet he goes up in there and freaking cleans up. I bet he kills some good bucks. Cuts that cuts antlers off him. <laughs> he, he ain't mounting nothing. I bet he's been killing freaking bucks up there for 20 years. You know, like, I bet that guy. And he looked like straight, he looked straight up like a mountain man. I'm talking big old, like, gray slash black beard, boonie hat. You know, looked like a, you know. As soon as I saw that guy, I was like, I like this guy. Yeah. I was like, man. He, he, not trying to judge or anything, but he looked like a guy that would definitely be like one of the main characters in um moonshiners the tv show <laughs> i mean dude like just i mean fit the bill i'm like where's the steel at man yeah okay where's the hooch because i mean he he dude he looked spot on like it that you know he, he's, yeah, he had a little bit of copper tubing with him <laughs> <laughs> had a soldering iron with him he was so, and hey later that day we ended up finding a freaking corn pile back there. A mile and a half back. Way back there with a tacticam on it. And, and we and we were coming out way after dark cuz we like we did a big loop and we're like, "Well, hey, let's let's uh let's get up here and let's ease around like we'll just set those two cameras in the dark cuz mm-hmm. those last two cameras we already knew where we were going to put them. So it's not like we were like like still trying to scout. So we're like we can do those in the dark. So we were taking our time. We ended up making it to the last spot where we were putting a camera. Uh, a little bit before dark so we could sit there the last 30 minutes and call. Mm-hmm. So we sit there and we call, um, don't see anything, uh, set that camera in the dark, walk to the next spot, set that camera in the dark. So it's like pretty, I mean, it's like way after dark at this point. And we're walking out with our headlamps and everything and we get back up on top of this big, big old freaking ridge and we're trying to find a scrape you found last year. Yeah, I mean, it's like over an hour past dark at this point. Mm-hmm. And we're looking around for the scrape, and I look down at my headlamp, and I'm like, there's freaking corn right here. Yeah, I was like, what? What are you there's talking There's, like, about? corn everywhere. I'm like, there's freaking corn right here. And immediately, as soon as I see corn, I'm like, there's a camera somewhere. And I start looking around, and I turn around, and I'm like, and a Tacticam. Looky there. And it, that dude's got a nice shot of my face, like, looking right at his Tacticam with a headlamp from, from like, 10 feet away. Yeah, and, dude... 
that that's so frustrating because it's in a really it's a spot that I would love to go. It's in a great spot, but it's like like, you idiot. Why'd you bring? You didn't need corn. You don't need corn in that area. I mean, you don't need corn. Period. But like you know, it's illegal to do on public land. But like that area is already such a good area. Like you don't need it, man. It's such a good funnel. Um, But uh, in the corn, the thing about it, so it's anyone like if you've ever like messed around with like corn right out of the bag, it has like a dry, powdery substance. Yeah, it's got you know got like this grit on it. That corn had just been put out and it had rained two days beforehand, and it had it hadn't sat out there and had dew on it. No. So I'm like, I think old oh boy. I don't think it was him. Well, there's somebody else up in there because where day. he came from, he was already like kind of past that spot, and he didn't have like a bag or anything with him. He might he might have gotten ditched it down in the ditch or something. I don't know. No, that doesn't make any sense. If if somebody's like walking in there to put corn out, most of the time, at least when I find corn on public. They're not walking, like, 500 yards to go, like, hide the bag. They're just going to throw it off to the edge or stuffing it in a log or something like that. Oh, we didn't look in all the logs. But, long story short, someone had just put corn out there, and I'm like, you're a god freaking idiot, man. Idiot. So Yeah, I think I think it had been put out that morning, for sure. It's just, it was, it's so stupid, because I'm like, well, now this spot's burned, because, like, we can't go hunt it, because, like, and God forbid someone walks in there and, and hunts it. Like, if we didn't know that corn was there, mm-hmm. and we walk in there, and we're hunting that spot, mm-hmm. and lo and behold, here comes a game warden. Like, you're getting a ticket. You'd be like, well, I didn't know that corn was there. The game warden would be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And that was a spot I hunted the last day of that hunt last year when you shot your buck. And uh, the sign was so good in that spot because it's like, you know, this is like this ridge system kind of like, it kind of like bends and goes down the hill. And there's like one side of the ridge is like real, real thick. And, um, and like the top's not, the top's kind of open, but the side's real thick. And like, I got off on that side and dude, there were scrapes and rubs. I'm like, dude, I might kill me a buck right here this last evening. And, uh, you know, you shot your buck 45 minutes before dark so i climbed down early and had three does walking right to me as i was climbing yep. down busted them but uh again it's right where this dude put that corn out i'm like you're god yeah that's that's super frustrating yeah, shane park said the same thing happened to him he made a facebook post about it you know some of his spots he's been on <clears throat> yeah. on some national force and some like bigger pieces of public that like you know guys have gone in there put corn out and he's like now i can't even hunt the area like it was good already like there was big deer there but someone put corn out, and now it can't, you know, even be in the general area because same same reason. Like, you go in there, and some people might not realize this if you don't like hunt public land or whatever. But like, if you're in the general area, and I don't know what I don't know what a game would say would be like hunted a bay area, like how close you'd have to be. But it's probably if, line of sight. Like maybe. if you can see it for sure, you're getting busted. Probably if you're like 300 yards away and you can't see it, they're not gonna. Bust. They can't. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but if you're say within a hundred yards or something like that, and you don't happen, to, you don't know it's there, and like you said, game work comes in, like you're, you know, you're screwed. Yeah, and that's just so unfortunate. Because I'm like, dude, whoever put that in there, put it. It's a mile, it was a mile and a half from the truck, roughly, give or take. Yeah, and <clears throat> you had all that. You put all that effort in to come dump corn out. I'm like, just put that effort in and go kill a buck without the corn, because like you can do it in that spot. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, you moron! Like, yeah. open your eyes to all the bucks on here. You don't—they're already here. Yeah. Why are you putting the corn out? Yeah. It's stupid, man. Like, it's aggravating. And and but we were joking about it because we were standing there looking at this guy's trail camera. I'm like, you know, this guy's sitting on his couch right now, and he's getting attack cam notifications. He's like, crap! Like, he probably just put that corn out, and now he's got two dudes. In, like, the middle of the night, standing in front of his camera, he's probably so confused. 
If he didn't get a great picture of us, he's probably like, oh my God, it's the game warden. Maybe he's not going back in there. So we, we're going to have to walk past that spot most likely at some point when we go actually hunt this area. Mm-hmm. So I'll be curious to see if that corn is still there. So I mean, that corn won't be, but. Well, I mean, if he's more, putting more corn. Yeah. Out. Yeah. So. Anyways, that's that's all barefoot guy. Yeah. I mean, and 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 the the corn bandit, corn bandit. <laughs> yeah. So, yep, fun times. All right, we're gonna we got a review that we're gonna read. Um, I think we already did that one, right? Mm, maybe, maybe not. Or is that? I, I think that's the last one we did. <coughs> all right, I'm gonna let you take this one. All right, so pretty sure everybody been leaving us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Again, like I think 70-something percent of you guys listen on uh, iPhones and Apple products. So listen on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a five-star written review, like try to read off those new reviews when they come in. So this is from Mac Daddy Nader, and it's five stars, the best dang deer hunting podcast. If you're looking to fill your freezer and cover your wall this fall, look no further than these guys right here. They will have you sitting in a deer's lap in 10 minutes on opening day. <laughs> I'm already tagged out in November. Usually, I'm swatting skeeters this time of year. I was smacking bucks. I love these guys. Don't be afraid to start backtracking episodes. These guys are as legit from the day... These guys are as... I can't talk. These guys are as legit from day one as they are right now. Never stop learning and always keep it Southern. Nader. Nice. Appreciate it, man. <clears throat> yeah, don't be afraid to backtrack episodes. There's a a gold mine in our back catalog of, of podcast guests, and we're working on doing some playlists of the classics. There, There's two playlists on our website right now where you can go and, and kind of get some deep cuts. Again, you know. the southernoutdoorsmen.com. <clears throat> All right. This is from uh, Public Land, Public Hunter Noob. Best hunting podcast out there, five stars. Uh, because I hunt in Western North Carolina, most hunting podcasts don't apply to me. Not the case with the Southern Outdoorsman. I found this podcast about six months ago and have since then deleted all other hunting-related podcasts from my library. Nice! <laughs> Eliminate the competition. Uh, <laughs> I really appreciate the guests and related relatability of Jacob and Andrew. It's refreshing to hear guys who have day jobs and family obligations discuss deer hunting. Keep what doing what you're doing, guys. Appreciate that, man. Um, I'm, I'm glad to hear it's, uh, the content applies to you. That's why we made the podcast, because we felt the same way. There, there wasn't anything out there that applied to what we were doing, so we're like, well, shoot, let's just make it. Mm-hmm. Going on almost six years, six years in February. Man, that's wild. I know, it's crazy. So. When we started it, too. At the very beginning, you were like, hey, man, let's just do this. Let's put our heads down and just look up in six years and see where we're at. I think, five, s- I, think I said five years. No, you said six. I remember because I was okay. like, six is a weird number to say because okay. I thought you were going to say five. But you said six. <laughs> yeah. Here we are, six years. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Crazy. Yep. Appreciate it. All, I can't talk. Appreciate you guys for uh, listening and watching. Jacob still YouTube. hasn't learned how to read. Yeah, no. You know, that never never was taught as a child. No, man uh, from Alabama. <laughs> I'm just trying to play into the stereotype, you know? Um, you know, real tight. So. <laughs> Born in Alabama, educated in Arkansas. It just didn't work out for you. <laughs> sure, all those Arkansas listeners really enjoy that. 
but anyway, so uh, appreciate everybody's been uh, watching the podcast, but also listening. But uh, it's been really cool, kind of seeing a lot of y'all's comments coming in from the YouTube channel. Again, all these episodes are on YouTube. At least started doing video podcasts starting around June of this year. So um, it, it's been really cool to kind of see some of the engagement and this some of y'all's questions and everything throughout some of these episodes on YouTube. So appreciate the support there. Again, if you're not currently watching these podcast episodes on YouTube, which actually I've seen some comments, Andrew. I don't know if you've seen these. Or guys have been commenting like, does anybody else watch these, this podcast instead of just listening to it? And it's kind of surprising the amount of, you know, you know, responses that guy specifically had, those couple people yeah. got. So we appreciate everybody's been kind of watching the YouTube channel and kind of watching these episodes. And again, it adds a little bit more of a, uh, I'm going to call it a little riz, okay? <laughs> a little <laughs> riz. Yeah, from the old PBD podcast. Uh, a little, little, I haven't heard that on there. Are you kidding? You don't listen to it enough, clearly. I mean, I've been listening for a couple weeks. Man. Oh, man. No, I haven't heard that. You ain't heard the riz? Oh, no. Yeah. Well, you're getting the riz on this <laughs> podcast. So, old <laughs> sick Maxwell here. I know. Oh, but I'm going to get you sick now. But, yeah, but watching the podcast, definitely, there's, there's a different aspect to it that I think a lot of people truly enjoy. So, maybe you'll enjoy it, too. So, check us out on YouTube channel, on the YouTube channel. Channel. Again, the Southern Outdoors men on YouTube. And also appreciate everybody's been buying all of our hats. We actually just sold out for the second time the old school camo hat. Yeah, that's why you don't see it. Whoever's the last one to order, I should have looked him up before we start, but you got the display model. So the one that always sits up here, I had to ship that one out. Uh, so we got a bunch more on the way, though. So we got another shipment in. We can't see, keep those suckers in stock. Yeah, but we also we still have my favorite hat, which is this one right here. For all the YouTube uh, viewers, you can see this. For all the audio listeners, it's what we call a chocolate chip hat. It's brown on brown patch hat. Looks awesome. I freaking wear this hat almost every single Earth day. Earth tone patch. You could turkey hunt in this hat. Oh, yeah. Oh, Getting it's ready for spring, baby. Bow hunt in it. Whatever. It's and, great. hey, we got we got a – I just paid up the, the invoice and our um, – Blaze Orange hats just went into production. So got a big old shipment of those coming in next because, again, we sold out of those super fast. Yeah, so all you Alabama guys, <clears throat> Mississippi guys are still hunting, especially gun season, you know, through the end of January and Alabama guys going to February 10th. You still can pick up one of these Southern Outdoorsmen Blaze Orange hats when they come back in stock, hopefully the next couple weeks. Um, probably, probably about a week and a half. Okay, weeks. awesome. Well, when they come back in stock, feel free to pick one up. And uh, we've had some great listener success stories come in with guys who've actually bought those hats. I'm calling them the lucky hat. Those yep. blaze orange hats are the lucky hats. A lot of Come people packaged with uh, some luck. Yeah, a lot of those people, a lot of the listeners, a lot of you guys out there that have bought those orange hats are killing the crap out of some bucks right now. Yeah. So you might want to pick one of those hats up. might uh, change your season a little bit. I don't know. Something might click for you when you put it on. Um, but just, again, appreciate the support. Appreciate everybody buying all the hats and everything. Uh, it's cool kind of seeing all those responses coming in with listener success stories, with the hats. Uh, and appreciate y'all listening to the podcast. Appreciate y'all watching the podcast. And remember, guys, y'all stay safe. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool, I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right, giving you a heads up here, so go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the 
the like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com. 